You didn't know a fat man could jump like that, did you? <laughs> Sit down. Somebody say something, amen or something while I catch my breath. Somebody bring me a little water. I'm trying to finish this mint. <sighs> Sunshine in my soul. <sighs> I'm going to tell you, I was having a rainy day in my soul for a little while. And then the sun showed up, hallelujah. Nobody, nobody will ever negate the fact that you've got a reason to be sad about something. Or you may have been hurt and offended and you may have a good reason to be mad. But I'm going to tell you, if you get a, a good old dose of Jesus, you get a little remembrance of the Holy Ghost in your life, your mad and your sad can become glad. Come on. Now, that's some good old Pentecostal. A little bit cheesy, but it's the truth. I want to thank you for praying for me, continuing to pray for me throughout this year. All the firsts are very difficult. Um, Dawn and I had 36 Valentine's Days together, and I did something very special for her every year. She always had a dozen pink roses. She didn't like red. She loved pink. And so I sent her what she loved. They would go to the school. I'd make a card. Ain't none of this going to Walgreens and beating those people in the crowd trying to get something. I'd make my own. And I'd write some good stuff, I'm telling you. She saved all of them. I was reading through cards the other day that I dug out of a door, and I said, man, this is good stuff. I should write cards for a living. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And, you know, sometimes I would cook a meal and she'd get in from school and the candles would be lit and the salmon was on the grill and whatever. I mean, I, I always do is try and do something creative because I always wanted to show her. I wanted by action. I want love to, to be a verb, love to show, demonstrate. And so <clears throat> last weekend I went uh, just to hang out with Drew in Fort Worth because he's still processing this just like I am. And so we, we cried and we laughed and we remembered funny stories and just had a great time together. And uh, went down to the Fort Worth stockyards and ate too much and did all of that. And uh, I didn't have anybody to dog sit, so I piled both the dogs up in the back of the Jeep and we drove to Fort Worth. <laughs> I called the vet and got a sedative for him because I wanted to make sure we made the trip without any... Anybody, but you know, because <laughs> Odie's new at the ride, and I've been riding him around the farm loop out there, and I took him to Memphis today to, we were getting a new laptop for one of our departments, and we made it all the way out to the Apple store, and then on the way back home, he deposited in the back seat for me, bless, he blessed me, <laughs> and that was the week of, and we'd been riding, trying to get used to riding, because I knew, knew Fort Worth was coming up, and so I called the vet, and got a little... Light sedative in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and we left about 6 o'clock uh, Wednesday night last week and got to Fort Worth about 2 in the morning. And, uh, man, it was great. There was no traffic. I literally have worn out the new 
Brian and Jim Johnson album after all these years and just she wrote a song that I know she wrote for me it says you're going to be okay I, I don't know how I know you know you used to you get an album and you just wear the grooves down in the vinyl I don't know how it works in the mp3s but man I've played that song probably a thousand times in the last two weeks and I got back home and I was thinking I told her I said you know after after a few years, when we got older, we probably got wiser because we got tired of fighting the crowds and, and sitting and waiting for 90 minutes for a table on Valentine's. So we, we got to where we would do what we did either the weekend before or the weekend after, whatever was closer. I know some of you young folks just think that's just a desecration, that you got to do it on the 14th. And when you get older and have kids and you're tired and you actually have a job and have to work, then you... you <laughs> <laughs> You get to where the time is special, and it's just, okay, baby, we're going to do it on the weekend. And, and we would always do it on the weekend. We had plenty of time. And, uh, so I thought, you know what? If I can go to Fort Worth and not be here on the weekend, then I'll be okay. And so we hung out and played with the dogs and just had a fantastic time. We had a blast. And uh, I had it back Monday, and I'm doing great, man. It's wonderful. Monday morning, I gave another little sedative to the dogs. The pups were about a seven-hour drive, you know, so they slept most of the way. And I'm listening to worship and to podcasts, and I'm just tanking up, getting my spirit full, listening to Judah Smith and to Matt Chandler and T.D. Jakes and just different ones that feed me, that minister to my heart. All those three are from different camps, by the way. I love them all. And uh, I'm, I'm doing well, and I get home excited Dogs get out in their yard. They say, oh, wow, we're back at our house. They can see it. You know, they're real excited. And their new backyard, fenced in, and go to bed. And I think I've put this behind me. And then, then I wake up Tuesday morning, and I'm a wreck. Uh, you know, so. And let me just say this. I really I worry because I try my best to not. I don't want to get up here and take up your time and being very overly emotional. <clears throat> if, you had, if you had any idea how I'm fighting right now. You you would uh, appreciate so, um, and I'm thinking about all of this. And I'm thinking about this new series. Pastor Haley did a phenomenal job kicking it off last Sunday, and by the way, she set the bar so high. She was quick to let me know that she had 28 new signups for for serve teams, <laughs> and that I was going to have to get up before day to beat that. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She did not say that. <laughs> Um, we, we want, we not only want, in a, in a very gentle way to say this, we expect everybody here at Victory to be serving somewhere. For years, uh, I would kind of approach it this way, and I would talk about it almost in the national economic terms, how we wanted a full employment rate. We wanted a full, you know, 0% unemployment. We wanted everybody employed not just a job where they're making money, but everybody has a job in the ch church where you're functioning as the body of Christ. And it was all about encouragement. And you know, about 2006, 7, 8, I'm really wrestling with kind of where we are as a church. And it's like after I'd read through the New Testament the 40th or 50th time, uh, it's like it came alive. There wasn't any hope you would be on a serve team back then. Everybody, if you, if you follow Jesus... You just, you served. You just did it because it was part of who you are. It was the fiber of your being. 
And I started saying, you know, we need to quit asking people to do this. We need to tell them we expect you to do that. There are plenty of churches out there that let you get by and not do anything. If that's what you want, victory is not for you. And we unashamedly say that. We love you. Victory is not the only party. But if you're going to come to victory, we've got a job to do. We're going to, we're going to touch the delta. We're going to engage people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And you can't do that without a congregation that understands serving, not only in this room, but in this community. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and say amen. And so Pastor Haley set the bar really high. And I thought, okay, what do I need to do to bring this? And I was, had two or three thoughts that were cooking in my head. And I'm Tuesday morning really just in a very hard emotional place, grieving and in an emotional funk. And I had a memory. I remembered when I was about 18 years old and I'm in high school and the windows are down and the, it's blaring on the radio or my cassette tape deck that was so cool then. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I had a Pioneer deck that I put in the car, new speakers. Gosh. And I was blaring Boston, more than a feeling. They don't make music like that anymore. I'm sorry, but this product pop mess today is just, you know, these kids don't know what good music is. It's crazy. Now, I'm dating myself. Kids, I know you, you'll grow up and do the same thing when you're my age and you're talking to other young snappers, you know, so... But I'm thinking about how, okay, maybe that's not just a momentary, a nostalgic moment, but maybe the Holy Spirit inspired that, that memory because I was going to talk about love and service, serving in love, and how so many times in the Bible Belt South, we associate love with feeling and don't realize that love is a verb in the New Testament. Love is an action, and that in itself is more than a feeling. How many of you know that sometimes you don't feel like it? I, I, I don't know if this is going to offend somebody this morning, and maybe you're going to be shocked when you hear me say this, but there's some mornings I wake up, I don't feel like a Christian. A anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Uh, there, there, are, there were times, though, I, I love and I honor the memory of 30, almost 32 years with, with the most amazing woman on the planet. There will never be another one like that in my life. Uh, but there were days I didn't feel like I was in love. And she'd probably tell you amen to that for sure on her part. <laughs> How many married folk in here know what I'm talking about? I'll, I'll pray for all the rest of you liars after service. <laughs> Good morning. Love is more than a feeling. A feeling. Feelings come and go and they change. And covenantal love in the New Testament is a decision. It's an act of the will. And I, I have times in marital counseling with young couples all the time, young and old couples, and I tell them, you know what, when you decide to do what you did when you were trying to get her attention, when you wanted her to, to love you, 
All those special things you did, you remember how when you did them, it made you have all these warm fuzzies when you were doing it and you were getting it ready and you were drawing the card and you were picking the one rose, not a dozen or two dozen or ten dozen, but just one, and you wrote that little verse and you, you put it on the pillow and all the different things that, sh- that you did for him, cooked him his favorite meal and just the things that you know that he loves, you made sure that his desires were taken care of. All those things when you did those trying to woo and win the one that you're with, your spouse. If you'll decide to do those again, it's amazing how those feelings show up just like they used to 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago because love is a decision and the feelings, love is like the engine in the train. It's the one that's going to go somewhere. It'll, it'll, it'll get some direction and some force and some impetus. The feelings are like the caboose. You can have a train with or, with or without the caboose. Now, how many of you know it sure is awesome to have the feelings? But you can have feelings and not have the decision, and when the feelings are gone, you'll lose what you had because it's got to be based on a decision. I will until death do us part. Now, I I believe that that kind of covenantal love is, is missing in this disposable throwaway society where everything is instant, microwavable, 60 seconds, throw away the container, no muss, no fuss, no mess. Relationships begin and end just like that. Uh, well, it didn't work out, so you move from that one to the, to the 14th one. And uh, jobs the same way and churches the same way and just real no understanding of what it means to be uh, committed and to walk in covenant. Now, I want to tell you, in the face of all of that nonsense in American culture, we serve a God who is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even when you aren't hanging on to him, he won't let go of you. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. So this morning in this message, more than a feeling, um, I want you to realize that's what we're talking about in service. Now, let me get a commercial out of the way before I begin the message, because if I start the message, I'll forget. There's a card in your seat. And there's also another card that is giving you or maybe a list, a page that gives you uh, a printout of all the opportunities of serve positions in the church. If you would be sure and look at that list, and if you're ready, if you want to take it home and pray over it and bring it back next week, that's fine. There is no pressure to sign this today, but if you're ready, if you looked at one last week and took it home and you've signed and you're ready to to say, hey, look, these are my choices. I want to have two areas that I'm interested in and put those in there, fill that little card out, drop it off at the serve table on the way out. We will have at that table several of our team leaders who will be more than happy. Matter of fact, they're excited to be able to talk to you about ways that you can become a functioning, contributing part of this larger serve team that is called Victory Church. We're excited about that this morning, and we would love for you to go ahead and take that step of faith and be serving alongside us. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. The message this morning uh, begins, Pastor Haley texted a couple weeks ago, and she says, hey, I know you used uh, Mark 10.45 for that Mark series that you preached. took about a year and a half to get through all of the 16 chapters of Mark. She said, can I use that text again for this three-week series. And so I responded and said, no, it's already been taken. Can't do it. And I was being sarcastic. And she said, I figured I could. And so I said, yeah, sure, it's the Word of God. So I'm going to read these three verses prior. 
And then when we get to 45, I want you to read out loud with me, okay? All right, so Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be what? Everybody say different. Everybody say different. Now let me just say this. This is a term that ought to describe the church. Now, I know you can think sometimes you have been asked by a person, how is someone else? And maybe it's someone that you particularly didn't jihaw with. That's a real bad southern term. It means you don't really connect with them. Um, and maybe you said, well, they're, they're kind of different. And you don't mean it as a compliment. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Um, that's not what I'm saying. Different here is this is the way I believe that when the world looks at the church, they ought to say they're different. Let me say this. If the world is looking at our lives and they don't recognize there is a difference, then there's something wrong with our witness. Don't shout me down. We should be different. We ought to be different in our response. We ought to be different in our behavior. We ought to be different in our language. We ought to be different in our attitudes and our habits and our actions. Not holier than thou by any means. Not religious. Not pharisaical. Certainly loving, but there should be a distinction. There should be some difference. If you can't tell the difference between the church and the world, it's not the world's fault. Come on, somebody. He says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. All right? Verse 45, read out loud with me. Here we go. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful this morning to stand before this amazing family. People here, Lord, all of us desperately need you. I'm thankful that there is love in this room, that there is mercy and compassion, there's grace, grace for ourselves, grace for each other. God, thank you today that you, you give us a standard of righteousness. It is Jesus. We all reach. We can't do any of that in our own strength, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you come in and transform our lives. You teach us what we cannot earn or deserve ourselves. I thank you. I acknowledge that I need you more than I've ever needed you before. Get in the middle of my thoughts. Speak clearly through my words. Lord, be my mouth and be their ears. Holy Spirit, get in the middle of this whole transfer today and open uniquely, specifically in the hearts of individuals, Lord, things that might not affect another one, but they'll affect this one. Take this word and custom make it. Tailor, design it, Lord, for every individual hearer in this room and those who may hear it on the internet in the future. I give you praise. It is only the Holy Spirit that can do that. And it's Jesus that we lift up. It's in his name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. One thing that I want to communicate with you for the next few moments this morning is that serving is love in action. Say that this morning. Serving is love in action. Tell the person on your left right now, say, serving is love in action. One more time, say it like you mean it. Serving is love in action. Serving is not merely performing a duty. You look up serve. There are several definitions. It is the idea of working and carrying out duties for uh, maybe a charitable organization, for a local church. It's the idea of a waiter or waitress who presents food or drink to someone that is to serve them. Um, 
The verb, uh, the athletic term, is the idea of putting a ball into play. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning as well. So all three of these definitions of the word serve are going to, in some way, affect the next 30 minutes of what I want to share with you this morning. First of all, as we jump in today, I want to show you that serving is not without following. The very first point is this. It's all about the follow-through. Look up here. Read the line with me, please. It's all about the follow-through. Everybody say follow. All right, here's the text. I'll read. You just listen. They'll put that up. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to read these words, serve me must what? Follow me. Because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. It's all about the follow-through. It's one thing to commit to serve Christ. It's something else to follow him in word and deed and action. To serve Christ, Jesus does not divorce the two ideas, but he says, if you're going to serve me, you must There's not a choice. It's an imperative. I must follow him. Well, I sang the song as a child. I have decided to follow Jesus. And it ended after singing that three times like all those good old choruses did. No turning back. No turning back. And that had a hundred verses. The cross before me, the world behind me, and whatever. You know, we keep singing it and we get the idea in that it was a decision. In other words, serving God is an act of the will. Okay, it is laying down my will and taking up his will. As a matter of fact, I'd like for you, uh, my media booth person, if you would go back to the verse prior to this one, please, in verse 25, and it says, those who love their life, everybody say life, love their life in this world will lose it, and those who care nothing for their, everybody say life, life in this world will keep it for eternity. And those have always been kind of mysterious scriptures that people think, what does that mean? Am I supposed to just kind of give up my physical life? The word for life there is the Greek word suke. Suke is the English word psyche. Psyche is your soul. The study of the psyche, the ology of the psyche is psychology. Okay? And so Jesus is saying if you love your soul life in this world, you will lose it. But if you care nothing for your soul life in this world, then you will keep it for eternity. Now, still, that's a little bit strange. I still need to unpack that. What does that mean? Does that mean that I shouldn't care about what's going in and coming out of my soul? What affects your soul? Things you say, things you hear, things you watch, things you read, people you hang around. I'm still not clear, Pastor. Exactly what are you talking about? Well, maybe we should just back up and get very rudimentary and define what the soul is. The soul is the essence of a human being. Well, let me just tell you what we would define that as psychologically. The soul has three parts. Everybody say three parts. Here they go. Say them after me. The mind, the will, and the emotions. Now, I'm teaching for a few moments. This is not a stand-up, scream, preach message, but I'm going to teach you a little bit. So your soul has three parts, your mind, your will, your emotions. Your mind is what you think. Your will is what you want. Your emotions are what you feel. Let me put it first person. My soul, 
the current state of the essence of who I am is what I think, what I want, and what I feel. Now I can unpack this and it becomes clear. Jesus is saying, if you will get to the place where you can lay down what you think and what you want and what you feel for my life, then I will give you something better because guess what? God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And what God thinks about me is far better than what I think about myself. And if I will lay down what I think, if I will lose what I think about myself, are you hearing me a little bit this morning? If I will lose what I, what I feel about myself and the way I think about somebody else and the way I feel about somebody who ticked me off and offended me, and if I will lay down all of that soul stuff, all that soulish activity, if I will be willing to lay that down and lose that, if I will lay down and lose my suke, God says I will exchange that soul life for zoe, which is the eternal God kind of life. Now, that's, that'll preach. Man, that's some good stuff right there. Because what I think is incomparable. I don't have the, it's exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit this morning. What, what I feel really is totally irrelevant to what God feels about me because when my, when my feelings will deceive me, God's are true and he is faithful and he won't let go. What I desire, sometimes what I desire isn't the right thing. Some of the best prayers that God ever answered me was telling me no when he didn't give me what I thought I needed at that moment. And it wasn't until later looking back through the lens of a little bit of maturity and some wisdom that I could go, thank you, God, that you're God and I'm not. Thank you, God, that you answered that prayer, but not the way I wanted you to. So if we serve him, we must follow him. If I'm going to follow him, that means I'm going to go where he goes, I'm going to do what he does, I'm going to say what he says, I'm going to learn to think his thoughts and think his thoughts after him because I'm in his presence and I'm learning his word and I'm hearing him speak and his words and his, I'm treasuring in my heart so that I might not sin against him, Psalm 119 verse 11. His word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, Psalm 119, 165. All the words begin to be dear to me and, and it's not just looking at black letters on white paper or red letters on white paper, but it's beginning to have a relationship where I can hear the still small voice of the Spirit of the Lord speaking to me when I'm grieving and my emotions are wreaking havoc in my life and I can hear God start to sing to me, sunshine is in your soul, Michael. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. It's hard. Never promised it would be easy. But if you'll lay down what you think and what you feel and even what you want about your circumstances right now and you will take up mine. I've, I have dreams for you that you don't even have the ability to comprehend yet. I have thoughts and ideas and, and aspirations for you. The, the, the thoughts that I have toward you, thought, says the Lord, are thoughts of peace and not of evil to, to prosper you and to give you a future and an expected end and a hope. Hallelujah. If I don't have anything else to hang on to in those moments, I know that I have a hope. And hope always prevails. Hope will not let go. When I let go of hope, hope won't let go of me. Somebody's saying, man, I ain't never been to a church like this. I'm going to tell you, we try our best to keep it real, but it's all about Jesus. That means in keeping it real that we may be vulnerable and we may have some weak moments and we try to, to take off all the Christianese and all, of the, all the church cloaks. 
I remember my little girl, who's a grown woman now. She's settled in her apartment in New York City, and doors opening, and not going not gonna to go down that path. If I did that, I'd chase it for 10 minutes, don't have time. But I remember when she was a little girl, and I'm going to go ahead and say who she was talking about. She said, as a young girl, Abby was probably 14 years old. She said, I just love Brenna Vest. Is Brenna in the room? Where was Brenna? She's teaching. She said, I, I love Brenna. I said, Abby, why did you love Brenna? She said, because she doesn't wear a church cloak. That's the 14-year-old. In other words, she's talking about people that are fake. Mm. Look at your neighbor and say, he's preaching now. She just, she sensed genuineness. And I, I want you to see this morning that serving God means following through. It means walking with Jesus. I've apprenticed myself to the master. Where he goes today, I'm going to go with him. I'm going to follow alongside him. Now, I, I have an illustration that I want to take a minute and share with you. Some of you probably wondering, you know, what I'm doing up here with this, with this racket. Um, in case you don't know, this is not a tennis racket. Does anybody know what this is? It's a racquetball racket, yeah. Um, I was a, had gotten to be a really good player back in the day. Now, it was about 90 pounds ago. Now, don't y'all look at me in a pharisaical tone because it was 100 pounds ago. I'm down 10. I know I'm looking really thin to you. I'm just kind of... <laughs> Wasting away up here. <laughs> I used to play racquetball once a week with Bruce McCarty, who was the pastor of First Assembly of God Church. Great, great man. Has a wonderful church now in Oklahoma, growing like crazy. Dear, dear friend of mine. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell this. Uh, we were so close. One time he proposed that we would join our two churches together and he and I would be in ministry together. That's how we were great friends. And uh, I said, brother, man, I love you, but I, what I'm doing here is a little different. And so thank you. I'm honored that you would consider that. And so he would just school me. He would just rip. I'm telling you, <laughs> because racquetball is not like tennis. It's not like out in the open. You're in four walls and a ceiling. You know, it's like, a, it's like a big concrete rectangle room and you're playing off the back wall and you're playing off the side walls and off the ceiling and it's got to get back to the front wall. It can only bounce once. And you are running around that room like a crazy man, like a wild man, especially if somebody really knows how to place the ball. And after a while, after I'd played Bruce a few two times, I noticed he was just standing right there in one spot. <laughs> and I'm doing this. He said, well, I wanted to help you lose a few pounds. And uh, <laughs> so I, I said, don't let up on me. I want to learn because he's a great player. And I learned how to serve. And what he showed me one day, he says, you know, a good serve can make a difference in the win or the loss of the game. Because when, when you serve a racquetball, I mean, you pop that ball, it's coming back so hard and fast, but you can't hit it up so hard and high that it hits the back wall. It has to bounce one time on the floor before it hits the back wall, and you either have to be back against the wall and come off of it and swing behind the ball or pound it hard enough that it hits the back wall and goes back to the front because it can only hit the floor once. So I'm out there running all over the place, and I'm watching him, and I'm learning how to serve, and I got to be where I really was good at serving. 
And when you want to be good at something, you need to get around somebody who's better at it than you are. And just be open and learn. No matter what it is. You want to learn how to pray? Don't need to read 15 books about prayer. Get with somebody who knows how to pray. And pray. Don't talk about praying. Don't strategize about praying. Don't write journal about praying. Pray. Pray. You know, it's amazing the things that people do. Wanting to do something, but don't take any action. Everybody say, serving is love and action. And so the biggest thing that he taught me was he said, you know, don't be afraid of the ball when you serve. It's not just about one little bounce and then lobbing it up there. He said, follow through with that swing. And it's the same way in baseball. The guys that can crack that bat and knock it out of the park, they have a good follow through. The guys who can really drive the golf ball swing all the way through the swing. They don't stop. They don't break at the follow. Now, I'm giving an athletic analogy, but I want you to see the spiritual implication here. Folk think so many times, I'll just serve, but then they don't do the follow-through. They'll serve an hour on one Sunday a month, but they're not following through and walking with Jesus. Come on, help me a little bit this morning. If you serve me, you must follow me, Jesus says in John chapter 12. And, and you know what I love about this is I begin to think, somebody says, what do you do with this thing now? You're not playing any racquetball. If you knew what I did with this right now, you would laugh your head off. This hangs out behind my grill and my smoker in my courtyard, and I can kill a mean wasp in a hurry. <clears throat> that sounds cruel, Pastor. I think wasps are of the devil. I don't think God had anything to do with those. <laughs> Some of you remember the picture three years ago when I got stung right here and my face was like this. Then you'll understand why I think wasps are of the devil. Yeah, you know, you can just pop them right there and those wings are like, you know, they can't do anything. I'll take on a herd of them if I've got this thing. I'm being sure that before I built that six-foot fence, there have been folks back there going, what is that crazy preacher doing in his backyard? <laughs> All right, that's enough. I kind of got in an entertainment spirit there for a second. Everybody say follow through. I'm having a good time. I don't know whether y'all or not. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Yeah. All right. Point number two, it's, yep, already said that. <laughs> Point number two, kingdom loyalty is about an undivided heart. It's about an undivided heart. Kingdom loyalty. Some folk want to serve Jesus, but want to serve sin, too. You can't have a foot in the kingdom and a foot in the world at the same time. Or you're going to do the splits and somebody's going to get hurt. Um, kingdom loyalty is about an undivided heart. Listen to verse 24 of Matthew 6. Go ahead and put it up on the screen for me. Read it out loud. Help me. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both what? God and money. Interesting. You know, it's not just about my time, where I serve and how I serve, but it's what I give, my treasure. As a matter of fact, Jesus says just a few verses up, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and eat, eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven. I wish I had time to unpack that. I don't. But I just want to say that it's very, very 
easy to kind of get an Americanized mentality about these two aspects. Dr. Billy Graham says, Jesus is Lord of your life. Really? Show me two things. Show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. Let me see what you do with your time and let me see what you do with your money. And if you'll think about it, those are the two biggest stressors in your life. Deadlines that are looming and not enough time to get it finished. Bills are coming due and not enough money. You have too much month left at the end of your money, as the old guy said. And the, the principle is, is that we have not gotten a set of priorities established in our lives yet, that Jesus comes to not just give us security in the sweet by and by. Salvation is more than just fire insurance that I can check off a to-do list and go on about my life as usual. It's not just easy believism of saying, Jesus, forgive me, and then go on living the same way you did because nothing has happened. You might have muttered some words, but you ain't safe. Pardon my southern slang. Salvation, conversion, means something has happened. I've laid down my old pattern of thinking and my desires and my thoughts, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Matter of fact, most of the time it doesn't happen in an instant. It's a, it's a reformation. It's a transformation over a period of time. We are not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And too many folk with their money want to just tip God. They want God to be, be the lottery. They want to be the lottery winner in terms of blessing, but they don't want to give with any kind of seed consciousness. It's always based on a need. God, I need this. I need that. I need you to do this for me. But then when it comes time to actually investing in the kingdom of God, all they want to do is give God a tip. It's quiet in here. We don't, we don't do anything out of compulsion. We don't manipulate or intimidate or guilt you. We just teach you what the Word says. And two or three times a year, we'll speak to some of these things. Two weeks from now, March the 5th, we'll be receiving our miracle offering. And I'm asking you to trust God, to speak to the Lord personally. Ask Him what He would have you to give sacrificially. This is a sacrificial gift that we give. This is well beyond. It's not just my regular tithe, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me something. And let me just say this. If what you give, what, if the seed you sow doesn't radically affect you, then don't expect the harvest to radically affect you. Everybody just say common sense. We need, go ahead and put it up for me, the quote that I have here, and it's on your notes. Give God what is right, not what is left. Folk pay all the bills, do all their fun stuff, go out, have a good time, party it up. And if, you know, if there's 10 bucks left over, then, hey, man, I'm really going to bless the Lord this week at church. I'm going to throw a Hamilton in the offering. Or a George. My goodness. George Washington. Thank God for all the ones. Get enough of them, you can do something pretty amazing. But it's amazing to me sometimes who think that tipping God is, is the way to live a life of generosity. And, and too often, folk who are otherwise conservative. We, we are an evangelical congregation, which means we, we take a conservative view of the Word of God. We believe that God's Word is true, that it is authoritative, that, that it, it is inerrant in its original manuscripts. I'll stop and give you a little theological uh, commercial here. Uh, we, we, we believe that the Word of God is a pattern for life. It's the standard, the rule of all living in terms of how we're to live our lives. We, we can't excuse it just because it's a, a hard passage or a hard saying. So we take the word literally where literally, and I don't mean a kind of wooden literalism, but I mean literarily. We interpret it literally. 
Um, that's another message. I shouldn't even have said that because some of you are going to come to me, what were you talking about? Just, if it's a, if it's a metaphor, interpret it as a metaphor, okay? I'll open that up another time. By the way, two weeks from now, I'm going to start a new series in Nehemiah called Arise and Build because we'll be announcing very shortly our, our groundbreaking and going to show you a new revised floor plan and a new revised elevation, so we're exciting. We're excited. We're, yeah, we're exciting. <laughs> we're excited about what is before us. Um, but too many times, folk who typically vote conservatively, and, and that is we think in terms of a conservative worldview, that is limited government and personal responsibility, when we think about what the politics and the government and the things, how we vote, we usually think in terms of a conservative worldview. Uh, but then when we get to church, we kind of, ironically, it's crazy, we're inconsistent. We almost put on a welfare mentality because we expect the church to have all these amazing programs, but you don't want to give to fund them. We expect all these amazing opportunities to get, get our kids in there and get them entertained, but we don't want to show up and help anybody. Personal responsibility stops at the church. In other words, I can drop my kids off and let Pastor Haley and Pastor Jeremy babysit them, and I expect them to take them to youth camp and bring them back reformed. It's taken me 15 years to get their lives jacked up the way I've raised them, and I expect one week of revival. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching so good right now. How many of you know I'm preaching good right now? We want to harp about the government. We want limited government. We want personal responsibility. But then when we come to church, we get on a welfare mentality. We want all these programs, but we don't want to fund them. We want all the programs, but we don't want to get in there and jump in there and take personal responsibility and help. Pastor Haley, you ought to be shouting real good right now because I'm helping you. We have, we've got a part to play. I'm going to take that sneeze as an amen over there this morning. Uh, how many of you hear what I'm saying? We, we think one way in one area, but then we are not consistent in our worldview. How many of you know when I can learn to get consistent gradually over time in these areas of my life and let the Word have final authority and give it first priority in my life, how many of you know blessing's going to chase me down? Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Hallelujah. All right. We've got to not only preach the gospel, but we have to live and serve the gospel. What can you imagine what it would be like if the church, now I'm not talking about victory because this is a very giving congregation. We've taught you the word. Most folk here respond accordingly. What if all the whole church in the body of Christ, everybody, everywhere tithes, and we had responsible leadership and finance people who actually blessed the communities that those churches were in. Do you know the government wouldn't have to do what the church is called to do in the first place? Everybody's nodding your head. Come on, somebody say amen. Uh, if we would just do. Now, you, you know, the Mormon church in America Doctrine, theology is messed up. But I'm going to tell you one thing. What they've taught their people is to tithe. And do you know what? The church, the church owns. We're talking about Marriott hotel chain. The church owns the Marriott chain of hotels. Their people tithe like you're supposed to. How many of you know if the people would give, if you would put God first, and you would give like you're supposed to, you would be blessed, and the church would be blessed, and we could bless the world like we're supposed to be able to bless them? 
And it isn't just telling them Jesus loves them, but it's feeding a hungry stomach sometimes and then telling them Jesus loves them. It's paying a light bill for a single mama that's working two jobs. It's coming alongside and loving a welfare mom who has eight kids and loving her in spite of the, the, tra- the entrapment of thinking. And lest you're running and putting a racial look on that, let me tell you, there are more white folk on welfare than there are black folks, so get up off of that. I'm, I, that probably made a couple people mad. So don't, don't give me any of that racial nonsense. because We're not playing that game at victory. We're going to call it like it is. We're going to be responsible to reach out in the gospel and to love brothers and sisters regardless, red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. And everybody's jacked up and in some sin of some kind or another. And so we just need to... You know what our new mantra victory ought to be? No stones. No stones. Look at your neighbor and say, no stones. In other words, I don't have anything I'm going to throw at you. What did Jesus look at the, the, the Pharisees and he said, all right, boys, go ahead. One of you without sin, pick up, throw the first stone. They dropped their rocks and walked away. Everybody said, no stones. Now, that doesn't mean that we just live willy-nilly. Grace is not this just massive blob of permissiveness where we live like hell and head there. That's not what I'm saying. Grace has standards. Grace has the, the love and the mercy and the goodness of God. And finally this morning as I close this message, I'm finished. Point number three, choose whom you will serve. Point number one, it's all about the follow-through. If you serve me, you must follow me. Number two, Undivided loyalty is the characteristic of a kingdom heart. You can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You can't serve God and money. All the others are obvious. You can't serve God and live a perverted sexual lifestyle. You can't serve God and exert dictatorial power over people. Jesus never mentioned any of those things. Why? Because the crowd knew that was obvious. But money has a deceitfulness about it. He said that there is this thing called the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of wealth, where you start to feel like you got it all under control. Third point, finally, this morning is this. Choose whom you will serve. Look with me. I have two verses and I'm finished. So fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord alone. Let me stop right here. This is Joshua. You Keep going, Ray. You sound good. I appreciate it. Joshua takes over when Moses dies. Moses started the deliverance out of Egypt and he brought them as far as the Jordan and he died. God said, you know what? You disobeyed me. You smote the rock twice when you should have spoken to it. And he was angry at the people. And man, I'm telling you, you talk about, sometimes I like, oh man, Lord, please, thank you that this is a day of grace. I hope you'll have more mercy on me than you did on Moses because there have been plenty of times I've been mad at this people. Don't even look at me in that that religious tone because you've been mad at me too. We've been mad at each other. We've all done it. We've all been there. Frustrated ticked off, offended, and I have a reason to be. It's in that moment where I have to decide I'm going to lay down what I think and what I feel and what I want because I'm talking out of my soul life, my suke, some soul talk. And I need to be talking out of Zoe life, 
I need to exchange it. And it comes every time I have an opportunity to say, who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve my own life? Am I going to serve the life of God that can change me and change everybody else around me? And so Joshua picked up where Moses died and he carries the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. They begin to actually inherit what had been promised 440 years prior. God promised it to their forefather Abraham. And they went into slavery in Egypt for over 400 years and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 And so 440 years later, several generations down the line, the promise finally comes to pass. And what I want you to see is to have a promise is one thing. To have the possession is something entirely different. I'm standing on promises right now that I don't yet have the possession of. By faith, they're mine, but they've not yet manifested in my life. I'm waiting to take hold of the promise of God. And I can say this in confidence and without tears, without emotion. I am confident that I will see my baby, my sweetheart again. I'm confident that in the resurrection, I'm confident that in Christ, because God is the God of the living and not the dead, and that she is alive in Christ. And I have literally walked in my backyard and I said, Dawn, pray for me because you have a better understanding of what God's doing right now than I do. You're in his presence. Pray for me. Pray for me. I've shaken my fist and I've said, I hate you for what you did. I've been angry. I felt all the emotions. And I've been justified in feeling every one of them. But I refuse to let that be a snare and a trap that holds me and ties me down like a big bear trapped in a trap where he's ready to gnaw his leg off just to get away. And every moment that that happens, I have to say, God, I lay down my soul life, what I think, what I want, and what I feel. And every time that I do that, something washes over me and wells up on the inside of me and the the rainy day in my soul becomes sunshine. You will never affect the person that you're carrying a grudge toward by carrying the grudge. You're just going to affect yourself physically and limit yourself spiritually and you will never carry out what you were supposed to do in your destiny of God until you let go of that root of bitterness and you say, Father, I forgive. I'm I'm helping somebody right now. You have been justified in feeling what you felt. Shake your fist and curse don't get religious with me. Everybody in the room has been at some point in their life angry enough to do that. And I'm thankful that God is like this racquetball racket. Some of you wonder why that handle is there. Because when you're in the serve and you're doing the follow through, sometimes you can jump so that you'll let go of the racket. Matter of fact, there's sometimes that my serve and my walk has been pretty limp. I've been kind of dragging and there hadn't been any serve. I don't know that I've even always followed Jesus when I've been angry, when I've been hurt. And I've lost my grip. But I want to tell you something that I'm so grateful for today. That even when I don't hang on to Him, He still hangs on to me. He doesn't let go of me. 
there is an anchor for your soul that is tethered it within the veil and it's hanging on to the very presence of God in the throne of God. Hope, hope is like this rope. Hope on a rope right there. When you don't hang on to it, it will hang on to you until renewal comes and all of a sudden you feel a new grip strength and you take hold of something fresh in faith and God gives you a new, a new promise to swing through with and to follow through until you see the fulfillment of it and see the manifestation of it come in your life. Oh, I'm helping somebody in the room this morning. Somebody's been ready to quit. But I'm telling you, God is not letting go of you even in the moment when you feel like you have nothing else to live for. Lights are coming down right now and I'd like for you to bow your hearts with me, your heads in prayer. Joshua finished that verse. Put it back up for me. Let me read it. The last one. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. No, next one. It says, will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me, this is what Joshua said. Read it with me. Everybody look up and read. But as for me and my family, we will serve You've been used to hearing it in King James your whole life. In the King James, it says, For as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the word house in the Hebrew literally means your family. It's not, it's not the bricks and the mortar. It's not the wood and the, and the, and the, the, you know, the insulation and all the ceilings and the floors and all that stuff, the furniture. It, your, your house is your family. The house of the Lord is the family of the Lord. Joshua says, As for me and my house, my people, my kindred, those that I have fathered, those that are related to me, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Nothing is more powerful when a family leader, a parent especially, says, God, I don't know what you're going to do. I've messed up this marriage and these kids are a wreck and it's my fault. I'll take responsibility, but God, I make a new commitment to you as for me and my house. We, we will serve the Lord. Sometimes all it takes is the turn in one and then God will take that one and plant it like a seed and it'll turn a whole family. And then a whole family will literally turn. One family can turn a city. A city can turn a nation. A nation can turn the world. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Bow your hearts with me. God, we need you.